Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Man, we're excited this morning to be jumping into a brand new sermon series. Uh, I will say this, this is, this is something, one of those things where you, you talk through the mission of Radiant Life Church, Real Relationship, Life Change, and Community. If you're, if you're new, uh, you'll see it's RLC, Radiant Life Church, Real Relationship, Life Change, and Community. Uh, that's for people like me to make sure we always remember it. Um, but also, there, there's, there's something that, that is so life-giving to us, um, because for us, we don't just put things on the wall as art decor. Like, hey, we need to put something on this wall. Let's creatively come up with something. And so it's not, the mission of Radiant Life Church isn't just something that's posted on the wall. It's something that's lived out in the halls. And how do we live that out is what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks, which we're, we, this brand new series called Heart for the House. Heart for the House. What, what are the core values of Radiant Life Church? See, on April 14th, 1912 at 10 p.m., the Titanic began to sink, right? It was in that moment where you see this vessel that was unsinkable begin, begin to sink. And one of, the, one of the ladies that was on that boat gets into one of the, the lifeboats and says, hey, can I go back to my room for just a minute, right? And, and, and can you imagine while a boat is sinking, she's in a lifeboat and she's like, hey, can I just go back to my room? And they said, you got three minutes because we're leaving. And so you need to be back. And so she, she begins to run to her room. And while she's on her way to the room, she passes through the casino in the casino. I mean, there's, it's, it, you know, tons of water, money flying everywhere. Yet she doesn't grab any money and she walks to her room and in her room are her possessions, I don't know about you, if there was a, a natural disaster, something that was taking place and you were like, man, I can, what treasures am I going to grab? I'm assuming when she gets back to her room that she's going to grab some personal treasures. However, she doesn't grab any personal treasures. She grabs three items, heads back to the lifeboat, gets safely back in the lifeboat. And everybody's wondering, what did you grab when you went back to your room? And instead of grabbing her wealth and her treasures and her possessions, she grabs three oranges. One hour before, I'm assuming she would, have, she would have grabbed diamonds over oranges, but in the face of death, values are seen more clearly. And in the face of life, hopefully over the next four weeks, you're going to see values more clearly. Let me give you a working definition that we, that we use here at Radiant Life Church. And it's this, that core values are guiding principles that we serve with. So when we talk about a core value, they are, they are values, right, that, that for us say this is how we serve. So let me give you the four, the four values of Radiant Life Church, right? And I'm not sure who came up with it. I think it was maybe Pastor Anthony when we were sitting in a meeting years ago and he was like, you ever know what they spell? And maybe we should have put them in a different order, but, but we didn't. And so they spell lupa. If you ever want to remember them, just remember lupa. All right. So we value love and because we value love, people matter. We value unity. And because we value unity, that means we are better together, right? We value passion. And because we value passion, we're willing to go beyond. 
And we value attitude. And because we value attitude, that means I can, I can. If we can, we will. Right? Those are our four core values. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. And you're like, hey, Pastor Elias, help me understand something. Like, like you didn't mention worship. You didn't mention prayer. You didn't mention fellowship. You didn't mention discipleship. You didn't mention missions. You're correct. Because those are biblical mandates. Those are non-negotiables. We will always be people of Jesus. We will always be people of prayer. We will always have the heart of missions. We will always be about discipleship because the scripture is commanding us to go and make disciples. So those are non-negotiables. Here as an Assembly God Church, we have the 16 fundamental truths. They are a guide. They They are a theological guide. You see, theology does not change, but methodology does. Right? The word of God is, is never changing. We do, we do not add, we do not, we do not remove, it stands for itself. But the way we do church has changed year to year, does it not? The things that maybe you were a part of church, think about it for a moment. You go back 50 years, right? The way worship sounded, the way worship looked was completely different. You go back even a year, right? And you're like, man, church is different. Some of the outreaches we do, we no longer do. Some of the ways that we teach, we no longer teach. It's not because they weren't important or didn't work in the moment, but our methods change. Our theology doesn't, but our methodology does. So core beliefs, our core beliefs are the theology. Our core values are the methodology. And so let's jump into our first core value this morning. It's we value love, which means people matter. And we say it this way, people are more important than projects. People are more in projects. We love others with our actions as well as our words, right? People are always more important than a project. We, we, we talk about this so much. It's like, man, if you've been in any pre-service meeting, you're like, oh, I know these. And we're never gonna not talk about them because, because for us, they're modeling for us a behavior. When we value something, then a behavior follows, so people are more important than projects. And so you're like, man, I got a ton of things to do. And, and, and you're so caught up and you're so focused. But if there is a need right in front of you, that person will always be more important than what you're walking through, than what you're, the job you have to do, the detail that is so important because of the person in front of you. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at, at a few verses, but we're going to start with 9 through 13. It says, love must be sincere. It's got to be sincere. It can't be fake. It can't be manipulated, but it has to be sincere. And the scripture tells us to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. And here's our word in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Just know we're going to be jumping into the same text when we get the passion. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in passion. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Jesus said the single most defining characteristic of his church would be its love. He told the disciples, right? This is what he said over the disciples, that the world will recognize you, that you belong to me by the way that you love one another. So church, understand something. The world will recognize who you belong to by the way that you love one another another. At the end of the day, what convinces the world concerning the truth of the gospel is not our defense of the faith. It's our love for each other, right? And I get this. I understand we want to defend our faith, 
but it's how we treat each other. It's how we forgive. It's how we respond. It's how we react that is gonna show a cynical world that we have the love of Father in us and through us. And do we love one another with the love of Christ? It's how Jesus loved. We see the woman caught in the act of adultery in the book of John in chapter eight. And what does Jesus show to this woman? Love. Jesus is hanging out with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And why is he hanging out with Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, who is a sinner? We just preached on this. Why? Because he is, he is showing everybody that my love, my grace is extended to the least. My love is extended to anyone who is willing to receive. You see this in John chapter 11 when Jesus wept. Why is he weeping? It's for the love of friends, family. In Matthew 15, he feeds 4,000. Why? It's because of his love. And so we see Jesus responding with this love. And, and, And so what does that help us know? It teaches us that Jesus is the standard of love. He's the standard. It's not, it's not my love. It's not your love. It's, it's truly his. He's the standard. And so we don't compare the way that we love versus the way somebody else loves us. Our standard is Christ. And are we loving people the way that he loved people? So what do we do with these verses about love? Here's what we learn, that our love must be authentic. In verse nine, it says, love what should be sincere. It doesn't, it, it, we, we don't have any time for phony or fake love. When we talk about RLC being a place of real relationship, it begins with a real relationship with Jesus, not phony, not fake. And then we're able through that relationship to be able to love other people that's, that's done with authenticity and vulnerability. It's not fake, it's not manufactured, but it's a love that's sincere. Because you, you may have experienced people who love in a fake way, right? You got, you, you got, you, got, you know, Denise, and Denise is like, man, I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior. But unfortunately, Denise, she finds her way of gossip through prayer. Like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? We should pray for them. And you're like, that sounds more like gossip. You prayed for five seconds, but you talked for 50 minutes. Right? And so we see a fake and we see a phony and we're like, man, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. You see somebody who's at the altar on a Sunday and you're like, man, look, and they're going after God. And then you work with them. And then on Monday, they are screaming at you in anger and frustration and cussing you out. And you're like, I don't understand this. Yesterday, you're weeping before the face of God and you're in a, a posture, a position that says, God, I worship you. And yet, yet this is how you're treating me. You're like, I don't have time for the fake, or the phony. I want something that's authentic. I want something that is real. And Paul is saying that our love should be different. And I get it's easy to say because people, man, they can be difficult to love. No one in this room, right? They come to the 11, the nine, you're solid. Like it's 11, they messed up, right? I can't love the people in 11, but nine, you got this, right? Because what did we say? Pa- Pastor Angel says it. I think Pastor Anthony said it last week when he preached. People are neat, right? They're neat. That is the, that's the Christian vocabulary for you're really messed up. You're neat, right? And so people are neat and they're tough, to love, but our love has to be authentic. The second thing we see in verse 10 is this, is our love will feel like family. In verse 10, it says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And there's an interesting, the text here is very interesting because we understand that the concept for us, we have one word, which is love. But in, our, in, in the Bible, there's many words for love. 
And actually when it says here that we should love deeply as brothers and sisters, actually in the Greek, it's combining two words from love. The two words it's combining are phileo, which is a love between friends, and it's a storge, which is an affection. So what the scripture is telling us right here is to love love. Love twice. Love differently. It's saying that the, the love that we have within the body of Christ should resemble a family. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. If you met my family, you would go, that's not true. <laughs> Right, and I get, we, some of us, we got some messed up uh, relatives, some messed up family, and so we're like, man. But, but I want you to think about it from the perspective of a healthy family. If, you're, if your sibling develops a problem, you don't give up on them, right? You don't disown them. You don't go, listen, you can't carry our last name. I think you should change it. No, you stand by their side and you walk with them. Right? If your parents, they, they become, let's say they're, they're, they become elderly and, and they're advancing in maturity and age and, and now they're maybe a little bit weak. You don't go, you, don't, you know what? I'm not going to be here for you. I'm not going to help you walk through this. Actually, ain't nobody got time for this. And so I just need you to stop, either move on to heaven or fix yourself. No, we wouldn't do that to our parents, would we? Some of you are like, eh. Let's say the school calls and it's like, hey, your kid, your kid acted up. You have a choice. You, you have a choice in, in, in that when you get that call, like, oh, my kid acted up. Oh, we, we're not going to deal with that. Or, you know what, we're going to deal with that. And so when your kid gets home from school, you're like, hey, let me, let me talk to you for just a moment. We want you to know that beha- that type of behavior in our family is completely unacceptable. And so the police have been called. They're going to escort you from our home and take you somewhere else. Now, some of you are like, that's not a bad idea. You know my kids. No, don't do that. But here's the deal. We wouldn't do that to our family. Why? Because we are devoted to them with their faults because they are family If our family has problems, what one member is experiencing, the others help walk through. So the Perovsky family has a motto. We have had this motto since our kids were young, and it's this. It's family first. Family first. We remind our children. We remind ourselves. Like, listen, we are a family that puts family first. And so what does that mean? It means we filter our decisions because it's not just something that we say. It's something that we do. Every week you are surrounded by a large group of people who will not give up on you. That will not give up on you. If you mess up, you're rude to somebody this week, we'll invite you back next week. We will. If you're a fan of the cheaters up north, you know what I'm talking about, Evan, we will invite you back next week. You know what I'm talking about? We will. We'll still love you because it's a family. Church is not an event you attend. It's a family you belong to. Right? It is not something where you go, listen, it's just a check mark. It's a box. It's Sunday morning. It's what we do. No, it's not something we attend. It's, it's a family to belong to. It's so much bigger than just a building to show up to. This is a building. This is a tool. This is not the church. We collectively, as a body, make up the church. And so it's, it's not just a place to attend, but it's a family to belong to. Number three, what we see in our text in verse 13 It's to share with the saints and their needs and pursue hospitality. That means our love is more than words. Our love has to be more than words. We've got to be committed to bear, bear with each other's burdens and walk through this life together. We love each other so well and so deep that it spills out onto other people. 
We can't love without action because love without action is empty words. That's what love without action is. It's empty words. It's why next week you're going to be hearing all, you've heard little bits of nuggets. You've seen it on the screens and uh, we're going to be doing spread the gobble. And so next week you're you're going to have an opportunity to take a like a a grocery list and you're going to leave and, and you're going to have an opportunity to go, man, I need to love with action. It's not just something I say. It has to be something I do. And so you will be able to provide Thanksgiving meals to those that are unable to purchase them themselves. Last year, I think it was over 400 individuals right, that were fed through your generosity. Why? Because it's not just something we say. It's not just like, eh, we love you. I just want you to know I'm going to tell you. And that's great, and we need to do that, but it has to be backed up with an action that says, I see you, I see your needs, and your need is so great that I want want to, out of my heart, love you intentionally. And so we need to make sure that we are loving in that type of capacity. So you may be here this morning going, man, I got those, Pastor Lance, I can do that. Those are easy. I'm going to love that way. Okay, well, let's continue to read in Romans chapter 12 and let's see what, how the text finishes. In verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You're like, okay, I can do that. It says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. Oh, okay, that's a little different. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, this is a key word. This is not in my notes, but I think we just need to pause for a moment. This is the word of God. You take it as it is. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? Oh, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't blame somebody else. Like, do you know what they've said? Do you know how bad? No, no, no. It's not saying what depends on somebody else. As far as it depends on you, you fight for unity. As far as it depends on unity, you give grace, right? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Oh. Couldn't have just said, on the contrary, if someone in need is hungry, feed them? But the text doesn't say that. It says what? Your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If, you, if the scripture is telling us to do that for our enemy, how much should we do that for those that we say we love? Right? So do this for your enemy. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Oh, your kindness, right? Don't do it for the coals. You do it because the scripture is asking you to. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if someone offends you, lets you down, does you wrong, how do you respond? How do you respond? How many of you just thought of a case where you went, I didn't do very good, <laughs> right? I asked the question, how do you respond? So just the other night, uh, fun fact, uh, I was having a conversation with Pastor Angel and I had put in my notes, I need, a, I need a story, right? So I highlighted it in blue and I said, I need a story. And so I said, hey, honey, I need your help. Was there ever a time that I didn't handle a situation correct where I, where I didn't handle something well? And here was her response. How many stories are you looking for? I was like, you know what? I'm going to share all yours because I have the microphone and you don't. That's what I'm, no, but, but here's the deal. I was like, oh man, how are you looking for, right? 
Because how do we respond? How do we treat people who treat us unfairly? And Paul, who's writing this, understands this, right? This, this is what, the book of Romans. These are people who didn't understand that the Romans were, 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 it was a tyranny, man. They were treating people unfairly. If you were, when it, in that scripture, when it says, for do this for those that are in low positions, they treated you horribly if you were in a low position, so now he's saying your enemy, understanding who he was writing to. I mean, this is, this is the church at Rome, the way the Romans are treating you. This is the group right here. Do you know that? Be careful with kids in the room. Paul would eventually be beheaded in Rome. He understands who he's talking to. But yet this is the Lord's wisdom to how to handle these situations. It tells me that overcoming evil with good is not avoiding people, it's loving people. It's not avoiding people. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to ever see you. No, it's not avoiding people. It's loving people. Uh, Chris Songson in his book, uh, When Your Church Feels Stuck, he said this, behaviors exist only in environments that support them. Let me, think, let, me, let me repeat that. Behaviors exist only in an environment that supports them. What that means is that our values help shape our behaviors. Our values help shape our behaviors. If we value something, if we value love and people matter, that means it helps shape our behavior. Now understand, I've preached this and so I wanna be careful. This is not about behavior modification. This is about having transformation. You see, the closer that we get to Jesus, the more that he begins to increase in our life and we begin to decrease, transformation begins to happen. Life change begins to happen. And because we're becoming more like him and less like ourselves, transformation happens. And because transformation is happening, our behaviors begin to change. Because why? Our values change. And so for us, when we say we value love and people matter, how does that look practically with our behavior? And so for every one of our values, we see behaviors. And I'm gonna share those with you this morning. Because you value love, here's some behaviors. Be an encourager. Because you value love, be an encourager. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Build each other up. Look for ways to encourage each other. When I was a youth pastor, I had, we, we would do these spiritual retreats and somehow we would, do, we would always do this. It would be such a powerful moment we would have a blank sheet of paper and then we would pin it to every teenager's back. And for like 20 minutes, we just hit play. This is old school, right? On the CD player, music would be playing and then you'd go around the room and you had a pen and then you'd just stand there like that and people would write, write on a piece of paper that was attached to your back something encouraging, why they value you, why they love you, why they appreciate you. And at the end, when that time was up, we'd say, okay, let's take these off your back. Now what I want you to do is I want you to find a quiet place and I want you to begin to read what your friends, what your peers believe and think about you. Dude, we went through more tissues in those moments, right? Because here, here's a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old that would go, man, ah, my friends think this about me. The God of heaven, the creator of the world believes in me. His word tells me I'm reminded that and, and I think, man, maybe, maybe we should do that with adults. And then it hit me. We should do that every day. 
We shouldn't wait for a service where someone says, hey, go ahead and write something encouraging to one another. No, how about we just tell them? How about we just speak it from our mouth to their ears? How about we text it to them? How about we go on social media and do something public that is encouraging and not not demeaning? How about we lift somebody up? And so we need to be encouraging. Be willing to pick people up more than you will tear them down. That's what we need to do. So because you value love, you're an encourager. Because you value love, you make personal connections. That's a behavior. Make a personal connection. In Mark chapter 2, verse 15, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. So Jesus went out of his way to make personal connections. He's having, he's having a dinner. He's been invited to a table. He's having a party with people who are sinners. He was willing to be a part of a life group. Right? He... he, he he modeled it so well that it encourages us to make personal connections, to, to invite somebody out for coffee, invite somebody to your, to your table, to have dinner, to have lunch. Man, even it, it's so simple as even after service, finding someone you've never met before and just, and just walking up to him and say, hey, I have not had the pleasure of you meeting yet. My name's so-and-so. Oh, it is so great to meet you. What you've done is you've made a pers- personal connection. We say it all the time that personal is powerful, all throughout scripture, I love when we look at Jesus, there was always, how many know there was always a crowd following him? People were always going where Jesus was. We see this with the woman with the issue of blood. But understand something, Jesus was on his way somewhere else. It's Jairus' daughter, right, who, who is sick, and you gotta come, and so Jesus is on his, but while he's on his way, in the midst of a crowd, the crowd that is so big that it almost crushed Jesus and was crushing this woman, this crowd, in that moment, with all those people, Jesus saw the one. He was on his way to meet the one. In the midst of the crowd, he saw the one, and then he shows up to Jairus's house. The daughter's already passed away, and he moves on her behalf, and raises her from the dead. Jesus is willing to make personal connections. Even in the midst of the crowd, he saw the one. He sees you. And so Jesus loved one at a time. We have to remember that personal is powerful. But here's what that tells me, is don't wait on others to do what Jesus did. Don't wait on somebody else. Ah, somebody else needs to invite me over for coffee. Someone else needs to cook me dinner when I'm sick. Man, don't wait on others to do what Jesus did. So because you value love, here's another behavior. Help meet needs. 1 John three seventeen. if anyone has any material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So how can you help? What can you do? Can you make someone a meal? Can you, can you grab their trash can from the end of the road when it's, man, next week's gonna be in the 20s. For those of you who love fall, shame on you. Look what you've done, right? Yeah, fall, it blinked. Every, pull into the church two weeks ago and you're like, look at all the pretty trees. Today, you're like, it's dead. <laughs> but it's one of those things, how do you help meet needs? Man, can you shovel a driveway? Can you rake some leaves? Can you pick up a trash can? Can you take somebody a meal? How can you help? Look for ways to be a blessing. Look for ways to be a blessing. So help meet needs. Because you value love, fourth behavior is listen well. Listen well. 
That's what we should be doing is listening well. James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We should lean into moments and say things like this. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Help me understand. Help me understand what you're thinking, what you're going through. We hear it all the time, right? People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so true. It's so true. But here's my thing, my challenge to you is listen to gain insight and not to respond. How many of you have that same problem that I have? Like someone is talking to me and I'm like, I can fix that. And I'm listening and I'm like, oh, I got the response. I got the response. Would you stop talking so I can give you the answer? Uh, but, But church, when we listen, we have to be willing to listen, to gain insight and not to respond. Why? Because we want to listen well. A behavior of loving other people means we're willing to listen. We're willing to sit down and have conversations and connect. But that means we listen to gain insight and not to respond. Number five, because you value love, is be intentional. In John chapter four, verse seven, it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, what I mean by being intentional is this. This is a moment in scripture where Jesus didn't have to go that direction. He didn't need to go through and meet with the Samaritan. Now understand something. When he says, hey, would you get me a drink? He's saying we're friends. Now, if you read this in context, you're like, yeah, he was being kind. But, but he, knows about, he knows something about this woman where we look at it and go, ooh, he's meeting with her. And he challenges her with it. But he didn't challenge her before he met with her. He met with her and then challenged Wait, he was intentional. He went out of his way to associate with this woman. Why? Because he made a personal connection. He was intentional. He went out of his way to meet with this woman. Sometimes loving someone with the love of Christ is as simple as walking across the room. Just walk across the room. Like there, was, there was a moment today, Pastor Phil asked if, you, if you're in the midst of something and there's a mountain in front of you, and there were hands raised to go pray. And sometimes that means you just got to walk across the room and go, I don't, I don't know you, you don't know me, but, but your hand is raised and I, 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 I want to be intentional of praying for you. But maybe you prayed with someone and then today, here, let me show you, this is just practical, how you can be atten- intentional, right? It's the word of God, it's being intentional. What did Jesus do? He was intentional and you prayed for somebody and you're like, man, I'm not even sure who they are. Well, connect with them. Again, make it personal, but then, but then follow up with them. When you see them next week, or if you, you, you're friends with them on social media, follow up with them and say, hey, I'm just checking in. I know I prayed with you. I just want to make sure you're okay. Reach out to them three, four, five days later, whatever it is, because why? You're being intentional. Understanding that love is a decision and not a feeling. It is a decision. It is a choice that we make every day. Are we going to love people where they are at? So maybe your intentionality is just put some, put some time on your calendar, like block out a time and just put on there, be intentional for that moment, for that season, text three, four or five people, whatever it is, put a moment, an afternoon where you're going to get lunch or coffee with someone, just be intentional. And number six, because you value love, and this is one that we should know, but for some reason it's, it can be very hard because again, people are neat. Because you value love, Be kind. Be kind. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate with one another. 
be kind and compassionate with one another. Let me say it again. Be kind and compassionate with one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. Man, how powerful are these words? Thank you. How powerful. I thank you. I'm sorry. You're welcome. How powerful are those words? Right? Be kind. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. Focus on what is right. Look for what is good. I heard this the other day. I didn't even know it was a thing, but I guess it's a thing, and you can Google it. So remember, I'm a Google master, and uh, this one is actually true. Not Not what I considered to be true from my medical profession, um, but, but this is really true. The Seattle freeze, has anybody ever heard of the Seattle freeze? So in Seattle, people are different because they're neat. They're not, as, they're, maybe they don't, they're not as kind. They're not as compassionate. They're not as forgiving. What they call that, the Seattle freeze, it means that people are cold. Not physically cold because it rains, but emotionally. You may not hear a lot of thank yous, They're a little bit more aggressive with their conversations. They're willing to tell you what they think. (laughs) And they speak it out. And so people, when they travel, right, from Seattle and and there's some other state and there's some other location, like you take somebody from Seattle and you put them in the heart of Texas, right? And they're like, I didn't didn't know people this kind. I didn't know people went out of their way. I didn't know you could talk to a complete stranger for 10 minutes. Like we don't talk, we don't open doors. And so instead of having a Seattle freeze, and I, I get this is going to be like an I- ironic statement for those of us. But instead of having a Seattle fray- freeze, how about we have some Ohio warmth? Right? How about, we, how about we give some compassion? How about we give some empathy? How about, how about for us, we show up and we say things like, thank you and you're welcome. How about we look for things that are right instead of things that are wrong? I would say this. Be the kindness that you want to receive. Just be the kindness that you want to receive. Like, I wish someone would. Then be that person. I wish someone would tell me thank you. Then be that person who's intentional with thank you. I wish someone would just be kind. You know how far that goes? But here's why. It's not because it's fake or facade. These are six behaviors. Six behaviors to say we value love and people matter. So this morning, I just want to, I want to close service with this. It's hard to live out love if you have not received that love. It's hard to give of something that you have not received for yourself. When we were singing and Pastor Angel spoke and, and Phil led through that song and I never take for granted the love that I received from the Father. In my own life, I I think back and I go, man, my great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My mother is still to this day at 77, an alcoholic. My brother, alcoholic. I was on the same road, right? Four generations of alcoholics. And then I met Christ. And he changed my life. He changed my life. 
And so I'm a a first generation non-alcoholic right now. And then I have a daughter who's a second generation preacher, non-alcoholic, who's pregnant with our granddaughter, let's go somebody, right? Who's gonna be a third generation. So what was once four generations of is now three generations of, because what? Receiving the love of Christ. It was his kindness that led me. The scripture says it's his kindness that leads to repentance. It was his love. It wasn't the fear. Now I I may have been taught it was the fear, but for me, it wasn't something that, that for me, it was when I finally grasped that it was his love, it was his compassion, his grace and his mercy. And I never take for granted where he found me and where he's brought me. And I'm not satisfied. I want him to continue to do more in my life because I still get it wrong. But it wasn't about my behaviors because hear, hear me on this. I was a jerk to people. I was, I was not kind. I was selfish. I, I wanted the wins. I wanted, I wanted the notoriety. I wanted to be the one in, in leading and being in charge, like all of these things. And I was like, man, I was such a jerk. but here's Christ redeeming. But it started with the love that I received. So if you're here today, whether you're watching online, you're in person. For just a moment, would you close your eyes? I want this to be a personal moment. Personal is powerful. This is about you and Jesus. It's nothing about me. It's about you and him. If you're here this morning and you say, hey, Pastor Lance, I have not received the love of of the Father. I have not given my life to Jesus. The scripture tells us that those who call, those who call, and I'm not saying you're gonna pick up a phone and make a call. I'm saying you have to ask. It says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who say, Jesus, I need you. Those, those that say, Jesus, I want you to be the priority of my life. Jesus, the thing that I need to value most is you. And I have fallen short of that. And so I'm tired of doing it by myself. And so Jesus, I want you. I wanna call upon your name. I want a personal relationship with you. I wanna receive your love so I can be a conduit of your love so that I'd be willing and able to give your love. So if that's you online, one of our hosts would love to pray with you. If that's you in the room, just simply raise your hand and I'm gonna close our service out in prayer. If that's you, just say, I need, I need a relationship with Jesus. So Father, this morning, every hand and every heart that is abandoned towards you, Father, in this moment, as they ask, as they call upon your name, God, would you infiltrate their heart as they've opened it to you, that they would receive your love this morning that they would give their life to you in such a personal way that they receive you as Lord and Savior. We admit our need. We believe in who you are and we confess our sins and our need of you this morning, Jesus. We value love, which means everyone matters. In Jesus' name, amen.